Bitstorm, a comedy game design podcast by two guys who know nothing about comedy nor game design. I'm Ben Slinger, and with me as always is Trevor Scott. Yes, I am. And yet again, we're going to go counter to our intro, actually. Yeah, and, and not, not design uh, anything and just review it. Like, Yeah, we're not going to design anything. We're going to go with some game reviews. You know, Trevor and I somehow managed to find the time to to prepare for these sort of episodes and play a bunch of games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're usually games that, uh, you know, we try to find some that are a bit more obscure that you might not have heard of. Yep. I scoured the deep dark web for some of the ones tonight. I yep. I did some steam dumpster diving. Um, and there's a lot in the steam dumpster. A lot of steaming dumps yep. of games. But we pick out the cream of the steaming dump pile. We, 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 to tell the truth, to tell the truth, we just choose whatever we can. Yeah. And whatever we can afford, because like something looks yeah, good. Yeah, we try we to get it, it cheap because we both want to play it so that we can, you know, discuss it properly. And usually if it's a multiplayer game, we want to play it together. Like. Yeah. Anyway, enough preamble babbling crap. Uh, let's, let's talk some games. Trevor, do you have a game that you want to start us off with? Which Search one? for the plumber in my pocket. Uh, yes, the unwieldy named Search yes. for a Plumber in My Pocket. So, I was expecting a game very much like Magic Pockets, you know, the old Genesis game from back in the, like, 90s, Bitmap Brothers, mm. that sort of stuff. Yep. But no, this was like a, I know, a, a really wacky adventure where you sort of travelled into... A pocket, Into and it pockets. became, and yeah. it became like a, a big, large world, and it was sort of like pockets yeah, in pockets in pockets in pockets. Yeah, it, like it, dimensional it, pockets, that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. you were chasing after, a but plumber. they were actually in like pockets of shirts and pants and stuff. Yeah, that was the entry, and then it was like a yeah. whole other dimension in there. Like, but yeah, I liked this. It was this dimension hopping. Yeah, adventure yeah. was was just you know I felt fairly unique. They did a really good job of differentiating each dimension and not just visually, um, but sort of the the physics would be vaguely different. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could really tell that they took a lot of you know they wanted to do a bit of an homage to the Mario games and all that sort of stuff by having the the plumber that you're searching for and you know it's like yeah i mean you kind of you can't- get to the end of the level and it's like your your plumber must be in another dimension and you know yeah they did lean into that and you kind of can't have a plumber in a game obviously without you know having the the ghost of mario come up and tap you on the shoulder and say hey what about me it's a me what about a me Yes. Mario. That's a so terrible. One of the accent. one of the good things was they didn't have that horrible Italian accent for the plumber. Um, no. no, no, it was just it was, it was just, just a kind of bogany. Yeah, guy named Greg. Yeah, he's cool. You know. Yeah, it, it was interesting because it started off in this mundane way, and you didn't actually like the fact that it kind of started off as this mystery. Like his wife comes to you, and she's. Like she's her her husband Greg the plumber has gone missing. Yeah, after after you know his last job was at your place, and you realise that he yeah. that he must have gone and 
touched your dressing gown, which you specifically told him not to do. And he got yeah, like he didn't he didn't know you were a dimensional wizard, but yeah, like he still shouldn't have touched the things you told him not to touch. But and so anyway, you sort of sigh and realize that yet again someone's been trapped in your dimensional pockets, dimensional maze, yep. and uh, go in after him. You go in after him, and that's when you realize that things are not right in Pocket World. Yeah, well, I liked the little I liked. I liked that because there were vibes of uh, that Rick and Morty episode with the Yeah, with the battery, yep. Where time was passing differently in some of these dimensions and and that they were, yeah, that each of them were their own complete unique worlds with with your character as, you know, the essentially the god that created them. Yeah coming down now and then to to check on things and yeah like things have gone badly and you realize quite quickly it's because of greg yes and you know as as you're going through these pockets and you're going deeper and deeper and deeper and you know it kind of like inception which you know that that battery episode was based off of there yeah. is there is that moment where you know everything's sort of happening in all the different pockets going all the way down and you you kind of get kicked back into each each one going yeah, back up the list. Yeah, they definitely there was I mean that was just a cool mechanic and they got the timing of that really well. I, I liked that you could sort of because because him as the wizard to travel through uh the dimensions he he actually just put the dressing gown on and then there was sort of this almost weird recursive thing where he put his hand into the pocket and then kind of turn inside, like, does yeah. this cool effect where you sort of turn inside out almost and, and go into the dimension and then he's there, but he's somehow still got the dressing gown on, um, which let him then, you know, go deeper as necessary once he, you know, once he was sort of had solved enough of the, uh, the mystery in that, in that realm. But I liked that you could kind of at any point jump back a level just to see what was going on. Mm-hmm. And so, you you did see- And, it, you know, it's going in the slower motion. So, you sort of saw- You were able to flip between at that moment where everything kind of came to a climax uh, and see the different levels, you know, all colliding. Oh, yeah. That multi-dimensional boss fight was just amazing. Like, they're jumping, they're jumping dimensions, you're jumping dimensions- like, yeah. at one stage, he jumped out, you know, one step further than what you did. And, you know, so he's actually going slower than what you are. So, you're able to reposition yourself to, um, you know, expand inside his nose and, you know, blow out, <laughs> blow out, you know, that section of his face. Well, and- yeah, as the, fo- like, as, as the, essentially the finishing moves against him, you know, you had to do, like, that was sort of attacking the weak points. Yeah. It was the analog there of- yeah, like breaking into the one dimension and then being able to move and come out. You know, you, you had that the indicator of that point where you could sort of see the overlay of the, the outer dimension and, and you could time it exactly right. Yeah, look, it was I'm amazed that they got such a complex mechanic to work that well. Uh, but, you know, they did. They did. Yeah, they really did. 8.3. Yeah, look, I. I don't think I'd go quite that high. I know I haven't particularly said anything bad about it. Um, to me, some of the interface stuff, 
you know, I think that that overlay thing worked well. That was, so, but that was sort of the best of the UI. I found a lot of the other UI a little bit, you know, once you, particularly once you got too deep, like into the dimensions and you still, you had sort of stats up there for <laughs> the whole stack. They started overlaying each other on, on each other. <laughs> it was- yeah. It got really confusing. Yeah, I can tell what they're going for. But anyway, uh, like a seven point six three two. Yeah. Oh, you've you've gone. You've just gone that extra little bit of specific specificity. Maybe specificity. You've, maybe you've gone down a level and you've you've found that extra that extra. Well, mark. I went into a dimensional pocket, so I had a lot of time there before this episode to really figure it out. Cool. Well, what's so? Yeah. Well, uh, the game. The game I wanted to bring up was Cloud Impact. Oh, well, that's not what I thought you were going to bring up next. No, well, I wanted to get this one out of the way. <laughs> and we all because... know why. <laughs> <sighs> Look, the aesthetic was cool. I could see what they were going for. They were sort of trying to do a very low-poly-ish, you know, whimsical kind of kind of game where you know, you've got these cloud vehicles uh, and you're flying you know, above the cities and stuff. But uh, the controls were horrible, for yeah. one. I I also struggled to know when a cloud was solid and when it wasn't. Like, they yeah, seemed very inconsistent. Clear. Yeah. Because they had the different sort of types of clouds, like a, a rain cloud. The more rain the, that it had in it, the more solid it was. And I did like the way that when they'd, like, when you would hit two rain clouds together, you'd get like this nice big splash uh, of rain and the thunderclap and the lightning. And- yeah, if there was enough. Yeah, exactly. Like the darker the cloud, the more kind of a you know intense impact you would have. I just found it weird that most of the wheels were white, white clouds, like that you could have on these. Well, things. why did they even need wheel? Like they're clouds and they're floating. Yeah, like, it seems so weird that they made them look so much like. But it was almost suspension. like they put a cloud texture on, on another a, on a car. model. Yeah, yeah. But but it was just inconsistent because the white the white wheels were the ones that actually you know touched touched the ground, and the black wheels that you're thinking, okay, these are the these are the solid ones. They were the ones that allows you to hover. Like it just yeah, because I guess they were they were black because they had so much like they were such thunderous clouds or something. I don't know. Yeah, it was very inconsistent. I found, you know, you never quite knew if you were actually going to hit somebody because you were sort of flying in 3D space so much of the time. Yep. I that phased you'd, right. You'd end up right underneath them through or someone. phase through them if you, yeah, like, I felt like they were almost going for a, a joust vibe where, the, you know, as long as you had a darker rain cloud, you would win that impact. Mm. But it was too subtle, you know? Uh, it didn't really work. Yeah. And- I mean, I suppose I, I've got to say it. Every single track was just clouds, like. Well, yeah, and it, it it looked like oh great, it's a this one this one turns to the left a bit and then goes to the right, like rather well, than and, the last and I one, found which just, was just round to the right to the right to the right to the right to the left. Of the well, right. it was it was funny because I almost I feel like they developed the cities underneath the clouds uh, more than the tracks themselves. Like, yeah. The, you were just sort of floating above these cities with with guides to tell you which way to go, mm. which were not always very very well directed as well. You'd find yourself off the track. Yeah, especially with those cloud arrows that just sort of, you know, 
Well, and when everything's a cloud, you're like, is that another vehicle? Is that an arrow? Is that, you know, uh, but they, the main differentiation of the levels seem to be the city you were above. Like, mm-hmm. I can't believe they put that much work into those different style of cities where you yep. could barely see it. Like you had to move the camera to a point where you weren't really looking at where you were going to even see this nice city they built. So yeah, I'm, uh, it was, oh, you know, which level, which levels always bugged me the most? Mm. The fog levels. Like, they I put- mean, I don't know what. I don't know what. <laughs> it, it, it's like- What they were thinking there. Okay, sure. In that one fog level where the jetliner came right through the cloud, just as you're, just as you're going through the jump, uh, about to go for the jump and the big jet goes right that above was you. Cool. That was cool. That was cool. But- I would have liked to have seen more of those sort of events. Like, get some- Birds. I don't know, albatross <laughs> flying yes. through- yeah, I don't have know. have you know a baby being delivered or something like that you know yeah stalk past with flying, a baby have some tall cast. buildings that would actually get in your way like even in the in the tall cities your clouds were so f- high above like yeah. the skyscrapers didn't reach them it was just set dressing mm. so anyway I, I don't like to be too critical of game you know devs work hard on these things but uh, this this one felt like it wasn't thought through very well so <laughs> it I, felt I, like they're, a, they're like. What other cloud things do we do we know of? Um, angels. Let's chuck an angel thing in there. Like pearly gates. Yeah, let's let's chuck some pearly gates in. I mean, that at least had some stuff in that level that yeah. was up, or like some set dressing that was there. But it was still mostly clouds. Beanstalks. <laughs> like, yeah, get some beanstalks. In. Like, yeah. I, I mean, that's I that's straight off the top of my head. You could have had a beanstalk. You could have had a land of the giants. But no, you have fluffy white clouds. And you had floating halos. above random cities. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you know, three point seven two. Damn it! For three point seven one. <laughs> you had to go a little bit lower. Yeah, okay. it, mine was originally three point seven two, and I couldn't. I couldn't. I mean, give that it seems anymore. to happen a lot yeah. to us. Yeah, <laughs> really does. We're we're so yeah. on. Like, I mean, we, we're so yeah, connected. We generally, yeah, we generally think. I mean, you know how I love my space, as in. MySpace, like the old social space adventures. No, 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 no. (laughs) Although, you know, Tom is still a friend. Deep space croquet explorer. Like bringing the idea of searching through space Mm -hmm. and having to knock planets through these hoops and score. Yeah, this was this was kind of neat little score goals, basically. Almost a casual kind of thing. Yeah. Um. I liked that it was couch co-op, uh, couch competitive, yeah. um, was nice. And, yeah, that the, you were these- They didn't really explain what your characters were. You were just sort of these disembodied, you know, mallets. Yeah. But- But the theming of it was nice. It, it was nice because it was, you know, three- Three-dimensional, zero-gravity croquet, you know- Having to, yeah. having to knock those planets into those black holes, having to, you know, work out where the where the ring is in this particular, you know, where the hoop is, and most of the time yeah. it was like, oh look, like, there's a Saturn-like planet, knock the ring off it, and you know, you got to then carve it in half. Yeah, I did like that they kind of had the hidden rings where you could get you know more points uh, if you managed to get it through them all mm-hmm. in that level. The the level with the um with the binary star that was so cool where the the star themselves created the hoop and you mm. 
you knocked the third star through the middle and it turned into a trinary system. It was Yeah, well, I, unlike the previous game, Cloud Impact, where they took an idea like clouds and, you know, kind of struggled to actually make that interesting. In this case, they took the idea of, oh, you know, balls, the balls of planets and, and stars. Yeah. And just ran with it and just made some really intriguing levels with varying mechanics. Like you said, mm. you know, binary systems and black holes and the, the, the fact that the gravity would affect, you know, obviously affect the systems, um, the bodies that you're, that you are hitting around just, yeah. Made every level kind of really interesting. Yeah. And I mean, I've got to say they make croquet cool. Like, I, did, I mean, I didn't even know how to play. I, I, did, I didn't give did two shits about croquet beforehand. And the general rules. Yeah. Basically, you've you've got hoops, you've got a stick, you've got a mallet and planet balls, and you're trying to hit hit the ball through the hoops and make it to the stick in as little shots as possible. Yeah. And it's a galaxy-spanning thing, and the good thing is they can... They can just make new skins for the planets. They can, you know, play well, around I love the way there was almost uh, an ongoing thing as you'd go through each level where as you hit the planet, you'd see like little flurries of uh, rockets, rescue rockets, you know, uh, fly off it and, and fly off as, into, as long into as the, space. As long as the planet was um, inhabited, yes. Was inhabited, yeah. And, some and them, had the technology good enough to actually do that. Yeah, but I liked how the technology kind of increased as you went, because this was obviously happening over huge time spans, and, you know, they sort of implied that the people who launched from those early planets ended up on the later planets, and then, like, you're coming through again. You're essentially this villainous force running through the galaxy of these creatures, but they didn't focus on it too much. Like, there weren't cutscenes, there weren't anything like that. It was really just set dressing in that way. Like, it was just an added little nice thing, but- I really appreciated those sort of little touches. Hmm. Um, did you get the achievement for when you um, when you hit the planet really, really, really hard into the stick and it split in half? Uh, I think so. What was it? I don't remember what it was called. It, it, it happened very early on. It was like Splitsville or something like that. And right. yeah, it was just. I, I thought it was a good little thing that you could you could have little secret achievements all. all Dotted yeah. throughout and yeah, look the the gameplay was is relatively straightforward and simple, but they like like any good game and an arcade game like this, they mixed it up enough, you know, strayed from obviously traditional croquet in the right ways. Yes, I mean obviously just making it three D in the first place, but you know then adding in the additional ring, the additional rings, the you know the the gravity effects, the, the um. The achievements and stuff like there was, a, there was enough there to really make you yeah. want to keep playing. I didn't so quite get the reference to the uh, the commentators. Like I didn't get who they were. Maybe they're maybe they're professional croquet commentators or something like that. I know it just seemed. I mean, it probably wouldn't be too hard to break into that, like to to get some of the top notch talent from the croquet scene since yeah. video games it's kind of an untapped market when it comes to video games yeah. I don't know maybe this will lead to more croquet games yeah more traditional ones more whimsical ones who knows I really enjoyed it I'm going to give it a seven and a half yeah I liked it too um seven point four I guess 
since it's illegal for us to give the same rating. That's that's the established law of this show. Yeah, we don't want to get the cops involved. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I really wanted to talk about Rescue of Heroes. Mm. This, I, I really liked the way they turned some of the superhero tropes on their heads where they were the ones who had been captured and you got to play, you know, essentially like the sidekicks and the lower tier heroes mm-hmm. teaming up to go and save- the big heroes. And, you know, they obviously didn't use any of the- This isn't licensed, so they didn't use any of the the real names. But there was some direct kind of analogs there. You know, there was uh, Harvey Buffman, who was the Superman analog, you know. Yeah. Basically invincible, top speed, you know. Matt Ban, um, that was- Batman, obviously, but yeah, that one M- was a bit M A T T B A N N. Like, I, I was amused that that <laughs> they decided to stay away from like the superheroes don't have secret identities. They just yeah. got their na- they've just got first names and last names. They really do, and you know they they played with them a little, but uh, I don't know. I like that little touch. It, it separated it from the Marvel mm. and DC worlds. Yeah. I mean, David Speedman. He was he was really cool. He was the stretchy guy, not not the not the Flash like you expect. <laughs> yeah, I do like that. Again, they played with that a little because, like, why would everyone have the surname that just happened to match their power? <laughs> I just they went more realistic with it. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Flash guy was uh, uh, shit. What was it? Um, Dom something. Uh, Dom Toretto, that's right, yeah. Which was a bit weird that they went that way, but, I mean, it might have been. I don't think this- because this wasn't, uh, uh- It was felt differently. Yeah. Yeah, and- He was- I mean, it was a little bit on the nose, because he was fast and he was pretty furious. He was, was pretty furious, yeah. But, you know- Because they kind of merged- uh, the Flash and the Hulk in that character, yeah. actually, because yeah. he did- He went really fast, but then the faster he got, the angrier he got. Yeah. Because he just- He didn't like all the bugs getting in his mouth. Yeah. Uh, but, to, of course, these were the characters who you had to save. Like, the, you, you mostly didn't see them. Hmm. Uh, for the most part, you had these these really great, you know, sort of third-person sh- shooter beat up style levels- where you're playing these sidekicks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they they mix those up a bit too, obviously. And they, they did have powers, but they were less of the useful powers, I guess, which presumably was why they were sidekicks. Yeah. So, you know, you, you had the guy who what was the guy who could just, like, make it muddy on the ground, like fire mud. Yeah, um... No, it wasn't Stephen Puddles. That was another guy. Uh, it was Stephen Lima. Stephen Lima could could leave could leave the muddy puddles, and yeah. Stephen Puddles spelt differently by the by the way because one was the P H and one was a V E N. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They weren't. They didn't go too obvious. He was the one who could like talk um, to that very specific breed of uh, hummingbird, yes, right? Yes. It, it, Which, it was actually, you know... I mean, that was a cool level. That was a really cool level. 
That um, hummingbird the f- didn't shut up though, and he he did a lot of Hamilton lyrics. Like they they must be, you know, watching, listening to a lot of Hamilton and the hummingbird hummingbird just seemed yeah, to be the perfect well, level for that. Yeah, there was that great little parody of uh, when he wants to be in the bloom where it happens. Mm-hmm. Like they did some, they did do some fun stuff with that. And he definitely didn't want to throw away his shot. Yeah. Yeah, his shot being, like, aiming at the flower and getting his yeah. nose in it there was and getting the nectar like, he, just, he just didn't want to throw that away. Like, yeah. it was weird that he was kind of anthropomorphized and had arms with a slingshot and kind of Dennis the Menace-like. But anyway. I mean, that was just that very specific breed that Stephen Puddles could talk to. Exactly. Uh, and that's, I mean, you didn't see many of them. There were other hummingbirds around, just yeah. regular ones. But they were the they were they weren't the he couldn't talk to them. Mm. I didn't actually finish it. Was the ending no. good? Yeah, it was actually um, because obviously by that point you've saved a bunch of heroes yeah. as the different sidekicks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but they they kind of bring it together at the end and they actually have a level where you can then you're sort of tag teaming in and out the sidekicks to then defeat the final big boss. Okay. Who was the big boss in in the game? Well, it sort of foreshadowed it the whole time. Yeah, because it looked like it was going to be the clown, but I kind of thought they're not going to do that. That's too very no. Too you take out the, the clown in the in the Matt Ben level, um, and it did seem like they'd bring him back, uh, and he does play a role in the final level. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, the the final villain ended up being Rex 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 Ronalds. I thought he was one of the sidekicks. No, no, no. They reveal that he's actually <laughs> like a, a billionaire, you know, oligarch. Cool. Um, disguised as a sidekick, and he's cool, been cool, cool, manipulating cool. the whole thing. Oh, that that does actually sound cool. I need to go back and play that. Yeah, you should. You should. It was a good ending. Yeah, from what from what I played, I, I really enjoyed it. Six and six point nine three five one. <laughs> yep. That seems low to me. I thought it was really... I'm going to give it a 8.7. Three. Good. Yeah. Yeah. It really deserved that three. It earned that extra point oh three. Yeah. Um, I'm going to bring up a new segment. Okay. Um, So, I... Licensed Retro is... Is one of the one of the best things to that sort of happened back in the nineties. There was a lot of licensed video games, and there were some that some sometimes slid under the radar. One such things that was just released on Steam was Mary Kate and Ashley's Acid Warfare. Yeah. Um, so this is Mary Kate and Ashley from Full House, um, but it's you know around the time that they they. Did their did their couple of movies and all this their and movies stuff and, and stuff. So it was really part of their branding. So and this is like did they remaster it or something? Or no, no, no. It's just a, it's literally they've just done a straight sort of release. It, it feels like they've just literally grabbed the Super NES or Genesis like ROM cartridge and, yeah, the ROM, yeah. and put it into a, into a um into like a just like a, a launcher a launcher. Okay, but. I mean, you you know what it's about, don't you? Look, I remember from back in the day, um, I th- I think I've got a hyper magazine with a cover with it mm. on the cover. 
uh, because, you know, there was a lot of talk about it. And, you know, obviously there's a bit of incongruity, incongruity, incongruity. <laughs> it's not quite what you would expect no. <laughs> to have, you know, the stars of Full House and those movies in, uh, you know, this essentially like um, Street Fighter style fighting game. Yeah. With, you know, with, with weapons and uh, throwable acid, you know, that's where the acid stuff comes in is that you can yeah. uh, pick pick up the big barrels and throw them around. And um, yeah, it, it was very weird for the time. But I haven't, uh, I haven't played it recently. This was, you've surprised me with this one. So yes. you'll have to. Yes. So yeah. one of the things that I really liked is the intro cinematic, um, you know, really, really well, well done. Digitized voice. Yeah. They rather than animating the whole thing, they kind of just animated little parts of the face. But it's but it actually starts off very much like a Batman sort of thing, where there's a court mm. case going on, and Mary Kate's up on the um in the witness box the stand, yeah. and Kate rushes in, grabs a grabs a vial of acid and throws Wait, it. Kate at does. Her. I mean, Ashley does. Yeah, sorry, Ashley does because Mary Kate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. I <laughs> Mary Ash and Kately Olsen. Yes. And Mary Ash and Caitlyn Olsen. Um, so, yes, Ashley runs in and throws a vial of acid at yeah. Mary-Kate. And this is where the whole warfare starts. Mm. The judge gets in, involved and basically, you know, the tutorial level is just uh, Mary-Kate and Ashley, you know, duking it out, throwing acid at each other. And yeah. you've got sort of like the judge cowering in the background and, you know, you can do some of those early cool. environmental effects where you can throw acid towards the judge and yeah, you get sort of a little animation there. Yeah. I, I do recall some like, because they also had, which was unusual for what, what was otherwise sort of a more street fightery vibe, but they had some of the other, like you'd have other characters come in like the bailiff and stuff who would just sort of attack whoever that was closest to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, as almost a little bit of a random, um, a random moment, and and you sort of you just had to deal with that. You could, you know, they didn't have much health. You could take them down pretty quickly, but you had to be careful not to leave yourself open to an attack from your sister. Definitely not, at least in that first level. Yeah, and and later on, you know, you do you do get some callbacks to to Mary Kate's, you know. Mary Kate and Ashley's, you know, yeah, well, time on Full House and all this Bob sort of Saget. stuff. Yeah. Like Cameo, wasn't there? Which, you know, God, like his likeness. God bless his soul, you know, he's. Yeah. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. But yeah, he really fucked them up. Like, he he dumped that barrel of acid, acid on, you know, Mary Kate and Ashley's mum in that level. Like. Yeah, well, there was a lot of. Um, I don't. There's a I, lot of acid, and really it didn't was. seem to actually do much most of the time. Like it was, except not- in cutscenes. In cutscenes, it was the most powerful yes. thing. Yeah, I mean, in that initial cutscene, it like burns. You know, a big. She gets a big scar on her face that's there pretty permanently. Then, but the weird thing is, it always seemed to switch to the other side. Like it was always on the on the side away from the camera. Um, so if you, if you were, you know, sort of, you flipped. Well, because it was so, it was sprite based. So yeah. like, 
They just yeah, use the, all... they just use the same sprite for yeah. They had to flip it because otherwise they would have had to basically double, Do double up the double the work. All the animation. Although it was weird that they didn't just use the same sprite for both Mary Kate and Ashley. They they specifically well, I mean, I, drew a Mary Kate and they specifically I drew an Ashley. I suspect that that was part, like it would have maybe felt a little bit lazy. Yeah. To to do that. Yeah. So instead, um, they they use for, for when they're the leads, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think there was a was there a Lindsay Lohan sort of lookalike in there as well that they bring in. Oh, they could have been. I didn't finish it this time around. I finished it back in you know when it first came out. But I've just been playing it a bit, and you know what? It's cool. Acid Acid was cool back in the nineties. Yeah, yeah, acid wash jeans. That was that was one of the one of the powers that you could get. Well, and that did yeah, that did tend to be um, the the go to, you know, like the Joker falls in acid. Well, well, I guess it's sort of acid. It looks sort of like acid. it's like a chemical mixture in like yeah. the original Batman, Two Face in the later one mm-hmm. is acid, isn't it? I don't know. There's yeah. There's always a lot of acid in in those. There was a go-to Batman. thing in the in like the nineties. Yeah. Oh, um, I really enjoyed it. You obviously don't have to give it. Don't have to give it a rating. <laughs> yeah, I haven't played it recently, so I'm I'll, just going off memories. But I'll give it a a five point nine. It was fun. Okay. Middling. Middling. Nostalgic. Nostalgic. I, I imagine. I'll have to dig up that hypermag and. And find uh, that article on it, because... Yeah, please, you know, please do. And may- maybe, maybe we can actually have that, like, out on Twitter or something like that. If like I can it. find it, I'll scan <laughs> it and I'll take a photo <laughs> and we'll get it up there. All right, but back to games that we've both played. Uh-huh. Uh, everybody loves the Blood Munchers. Of course they do. Everyone loves them. Yeah, well, in they this game, blood. everyone loves them, and that's hence the name. They munch blood. And what what isn't to love? Well, and I was amused at how they made what is essentially vampires. Yeah, vampires. But- endearing in this game, yes. you know, like they really turn some of those vampire tropes on their head uh, and, and drop you into this, into this world where vampires are like they, they're known, like everyone, they're sort of, they're not quite worshipped, but they're respected. Yes. I do find it weird that they, they- you know, decided to do away with the whole creatures of the night and made them like just no, they're just yeah. Well, that's daywalkers, and look, and I think daywalkers, whatever they. I think they were do. very specifically trying to stay away from a lot of the traditional vampire stuff. The the really the only thing is that they are a species that survives on human blood. Yes, for sustenance. But the but weird thing is, otherwise, it's, it's sort usually of the, they're it's, in society. It's usually like the offcuts. Like they don't they don't need the fresh stuff from the blood bank or anything like that. They they sort of go to they go to hospitals and it's like the blood that the patients were losing that they had to replace with the with the transfused blood. That's the blood that they yeah. they'd sort of just get a bucket and then Well, just- I think this is and so to for those who haven't played it, to go a little bit into sort of what sort of game this is, it it was almost it had a very cutesy art style actually. It felt not quite Animal Crossing-ish, but it was a little- Bit anime? Bit, yeah, a little bit anime in that way. Um, and it sort of starts 
with it being just sort of you, you, you dropped in this town, mm. uh, like you've come into this town uh, as as a visitor. And so, you get to sort of just explore. You find some different shops. You find, you know, people in the town. You get to know them a little bit, including blood munchers. Yeah. Uh, you know, because they are just- They're part of society. You know, there's a blood muncher who, you know- Runs the runs general the, store. The general store, exactly. Uh, that, that's one of the first ones you meet. Mrs. McGillicuddy, she was my favourite. Yeah, and they they really made them good good characters, and I, I liked the way they explored because one of the reasons they are so respected is because they like they use their bloodthirstiness to help the town. Like they do use it to, like you said, take the unneeded blood from someone who is diseased because they person you know they have the ability to like it doesn't affect them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's no rat problem in town because essentially that's like junk food for them. Yeah. Little stack. Bite yeah. off the head of the bite off the head of a rat. Some, yeah. There was some interesting kind of interplay there where they sort of hinted towards that when like that it's very intimate to give a blood muncher fresh blood like let them hmm. you know and i mean that's it's in the vampire thing too but in a much more wholesome way like yeah you know they sort of mentioned that like married couples i mean going back to mrs mcgillicuddy just her, the relationship between her and her non-blood muncher husband like yes. they're just they were the, they were the most cute couple and you could tell that you know they loved each other and you kind of didn't want to know what they got up to in their freaky times <laughs> No, but they were very open about it, hmm. um, and they kind of did that as a bit of a running joke. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I I liked the way that they, yeah, that they just they stayed away from a lot of those vampiric hmm. tropes and made it this very wholesome thing. Yeah, it, it was a little bit weird when you know I think it was the fifth or sixth time that you went into the um that you went into the general store, you just saw Mrs. McGillicuddy with a straw. You know, just out out of Mister McGillicuddy's neck, and she just kind of she did the whole conversation with a straw in her hand, with like little blood drips <laughs> dripping from it. <laughs> it was yeah, just that- <laughs> now I think about it, was, it, I was like, they it played was pretty cute. It, you know, I, it, it was, was pretty cutesy. I like that they played with it. She wasn't it ashamed. Was it was like this no, is- because again, this is this is part of the normal society yeah. uh, of this world. Uh, you know, and, and then obviously you, you start getting a bit deeper into some of the actual main story, like main quest line. Yeah. And, you know, that, again, I like that that wasn't specifically based around the blood munch, like the fact that blood munch is a part of this world. It was just, they happen to be part of this world. Mm-hmm. And this is a thing that's happening in this world. Yeah. And so the quest was around like the big company coming in. And sort of gentrifying and shutting down a lot of the smaller businesses, like Mr. McGillicuddy's general store. Can't believe those assholes. You know, very, I mean, very Stardew Valley in that yeah. way. Um, but, but, but don't worry, don't worry, dear listeners. She gets her cup come up ones. Like, yeah, yeah, they they do wrap that up pretty well. Yeah, um, um, the secret cult we stuff that was pre- that was pretty cool. Yeah, well, that was an interesting way for them to play with some of those vampire tropes where. There was this weird, creepy cult that did sort of worship the blood munchers in that way. <laughs> they painted and had the all town these like red. wacky ideas. They painted the town red. 
Yeah, literally. Yeah, not um, blood, just actually like paint. <laughs> yeah, it was it was kind of weird. It was like one day a, a red door popped up, and then like well, red I windows around they, that, and it just started I like building. The slow burn for that quest line. Yeah, though, and um, and that you sort of you go in and well, and you bring Mrs. McGillicuddy. Like once you've found where they're meeting mm. and the time that they meet, you bring her in and you basically, you know, have to convince them that they're just regular people. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, they had all these. Well, I liked, again, the, what I was saying is that they, they played on those tropes that all the creepy, weird ideas they had about the blood munchers were all of the, like, regular vampire tropes. Like they thought, oh, like, they don't like garlic or crosses or whatever. And it's like, no, like- the only way they're different is that they use blood to sustain them. Like, otherwise, yeah. they're completely normal. And, you know, they they don't just bite into people's necks. They use straws. No. Well, and only consensually. Yeah. Like, that, uh, particularly taboo. Uh, I mean, not just taboo, like criminal. Yeah. Uh, to to take someone's blood without their consent. Yeah. yeah. Amongst the blood munchers. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought- you know, it was absolutely fantastic. The cutesy graphics, the fact that they they made it you know fully three D that you could yeah go around the whole town and you know yeah I thought it was great. Um, I'll give it eight point nine. Ooh, eight point nine one. It deserved that extra. It's only because you point one. had a super crush on Mrs. McGillicuddy that you gave her that extra point. Oh point yeah. One. Um, unstoppable pachinko oppression. Bit of a weird one. Bit of a bit mm. of a bit of an out there. Bit sort of, out, of yeah. I was going to say out there definitely. I was impressed how that how much narrative they managed to get in there through just pachinko gameplay. Yeah. Well, I mean, every single character was was literally a, a peg in this pachinko. Mm. In this pachinko game, and the oppression was was bills it was all the things that came crushing down on top of them and that's really what the ball was like just yeah to to have the weight of weight of the world society. on their shoulders yeah weight of society having to yeah and like the weird thing is it was a roguelike that just it doesn't stop like there's no bosses no nothing it's just yeah I, one thing i liked so, it, it was almost an art piece in that way. Yeah. Because each peg, you could, like, mouse over them and you got a little bio about that person. Yeah. You got their occupation. You got, you know, what they're concerned about. And that would change based on which balls hit them on the way down, which, of course, you know, in a pachinko machine is generally quite randomized. And so, you were essentially seeing these people's- You could, if you paid attention, you could just play it re- as a regular pachinko machine. But if you, you know- if you notice that the, you know, the depression ball that comes down has a particular little back and forth between, you know, three pegs down in this corner before it moves on, then when you click on them later, you see that, like, their life has changed. Like, yeah. that depression has affected them. Yes. Um, and made their life more difficult. Hmm. As it always does. Like- I mean, yeah. That that tax ball- <sighs> caused me some irrits in chapter two like 
because each each rogue roguelike thing was sort of broken up into into chapters yeah. and it, the weird thing is it wasn't something that ended so you know it just every every single time that i think it was like around chapter five or so that mm. things would just randomly choose which ball would come down and you know who it would hit and yeah i mean it was always it was always random who it would hit obviously i mean you could you could select influence. where it dropped you, you could have influence. an influence um and in some levels they did let you uh, you know f- have some influence on what ball it was as well that came in at any point but um i mean i think they told I think they got the message across that they were trying to, which was that it doesn't it like that it is this, you know, never ending, you know, that it's never ending that these things keep coming and keep hitting, not just you, but everyone around you. Right? Did I tell you why I unlocked that last achievement? I worked out what it is. Yeah, the secret one. Yeah, the secret one is don't play it. For like a week, oh. and that's actually the secret. The next time you start it up, it says to just not participate. It's in just society. To not participate in it is the only way to win in this game. And it's See, kind that's of an inter- that's interesting because I have mixed feelings about that. Given that you enjoy the gameplay loop of dropping no, a ball, no. <laughs> given that from the perspective of of life, we none of us have the opportunity not to participate as yeah. such. But in this game, you being, I mean, you control the balls. You don't control the pegs. So, you're the one who's throwing depression at these people. You're the one who's throwing taxes at all these people. You're the one that's making True, their life I guess hell. if you think of it from so that point you that you are play, dropping the balls. If you don't play, they have a better life. Yeah. Yeah. It's the only way to win. But saying that, I've been watching a hell of a lot on, on like the dark youtube um and that's where i've been getting my fix so those the people in those videos the pegs in those videos suffered just as much as if you'd played it yourself trevor i'm not sure that that you know as as far as i'm concerned absolves you I'm, as far as i'm concerned they were guilt. playing it anyway i'm just i'm just partaking <laughs> oh. in like yeah i'm not adding to adding to any pain i'm just i'm i'm on the sidelines yeah, well, I bet you, I bet that's Watching the same it. thing you think about recycling. Well, no one else is doing it, so why? <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. Uh- <laughs> 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 All right. Um, well, what do you what do you reckon? I, I feel I find it really hard to score actually because oh, I, I don't even I know love it and scoring. hate it at the same time, which yeah. is why I, it's it gets one thumb up, one thumb down. Like like I said, it's almost an art piece. Yeah, it just gets a. Hmm. That's a very good one. That That's a good... All right, moving on to one that's definitely not an art piece. Orbital Mummy Patrol. <laughs> so, you know, it. Uh, we're talking, uh, like, mothers, not... Yes, uh, not, not mystical not mummy, creatures. Not, no. Yeah, not wrapped in bandages. No. Although there was that bandage level, but that was, that was first aid, like... Yeah, <laughs> that, that that was just fixing scraped knees, you know, as well, part, and that as was, part of the know, that, orbital mummy patrol. Like the- exactly, this is the thing. So this is essentially this again another kind of arcadey game where 
Now, I guess this is almost the next step from being a helicopter parent is being- An orbital Like parent. a yep. space station parent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because you- Yeah, you're essentially like- You have your kid or kids in various places across the world and you're like moving your massive telescope that can zoom right into mm-hmm. where they are uh, to like drop help when they need it. Yep. Um, but you have to, you know, you have to balance your time between your different kids and- um, and look, I I really quite enjoyed the the XCOM like nature of it, where you you really get to know these mummies and and yeah. recruit some more as, as you went down. Like if if you happen to drop off at a, at a playground and and you know save that kid from the bully, some of the other mums fr- from around realised, oh, you came you came out of the sky screeching down, save this kid. And then, you know, they they want to know what this is all about, so they they yeah, kind well, of that's a good way to well. recruit. Like, I like that you had a bit of strategy there on where, because where you placed your drop zone, it, you didn't want to embarrass your kid by having it too close to his friend, their friends. No, but if you, but you did want the other parents to see it mm-hmm. because that was how you recruited because you yep. got them interested so yes i felt there was some really cool strategy there um i i've got to say you got to be very very careful with where you do put the drop zone because at one stage i just didn't care that i was putting it down like right in the middle of the playground yeah but it hit like a nuclear blast it blew some of those kids to smithereens like like that was kind of scary not not any of mine but the bully flattened yeah that was yeah well i did i'd like that it was it was mostly cartoony like there's, you're not beating up kids or anything, obviously. No. It's it's much more um, intimidation kind of moves and, you know, redirection. Uh, but I liked that in an XCOM-style game, like having that different- the different move set. It's not yeah. just, oh, duck behind cover and, and shoot from a distance. It's like, no, you, like, often have to get up in their face yeah. at the risk, again, of embarrassing your child versus doing more subtle things that might not have as, you know- now, Quick in effect. what I'd like for the DLC is them to not focus on, like, it doesn't necessarily have to be your kid. As far as I'm concerned, like, I, I'd like it that, you know, the, these mummies are protectors for all children. But mm. they, they really they really double down on the, on the, the idea that you've, each mummy that you have has a, has a group of kids that, they, that they've got to look out, look out for. Yeah, and I understand that you know that that's the way they decide to go. But for the DLC, I'd like them to to open it to so that you can maybe help those kids in the orphanage. I mean, they don't have mummies. I could see that. I, so I've all got they've a got is thoughts. nuns, and oh god, they were freaking horrible. They were the scary, evil like villains in the second half. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and and that they sort of hinted towards the. The Mummy Patrol taking on a larger role, near, like, with that level and stuff. Yeah. So, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if they do a sequel that it's, you know, now it's a bit more of a- Global Mummy. A it, global it, Mummy it, initiative. If children are in the trouble. GMI. <laughs> but what I did like about it being your own kids was that, like the other mummies, you got to know the kids. Yeah. And especially the way that, again, in that procedural way, because it was mostly sort of randomly generated characters, at least, 
if your kids became friends with the other mummies you've recruited, you got bonuses and stuff. Like yep. I liked that they had those those synergies, schoolyard yep. dynamics in there that yes, created synergies then. Um and so you did again, you had to be careful. It's like if you do something that embarrasses your child in front of the child of another one of your mums, like you've just lost an opportunity there to create to strengthen that friendship. Mm-hmm. And so you know, that real that balance between helping your child and not embarrassing them, I felt worked really well. Yeah. I did like some of the like extra like bonus levels in which mm-hmm. you could you could go help out, you know, your older son, you know, the 23-year-old who's, you know, a, a scuba diving instructor. You could help him out when he got when he got stuck under the water or you know, just Yeah, I did like because you know, obviously, you 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 often think of a mummy, particularly if you put it like that, as of you know having younger children, and yeah. that was the main gameplay. But I did like that they sort of nodded towards, you know, in that way that like, as your kids grow older, you have less opportunity to mm. dive in and help them, yeah, because uh, they're kind of on their own. But that there's still a need for the mummy, you yeah, know, for your mummy to come in and exactly and save you in certain situations. And then they dramatized that it was yeah. it was fun. Uh, Commander Mummy, she was really like a hard ass like oh yeah you you could tell that you know she'd seen some shit well and i liked those archetypes that they had yeah because there was the more you know the commander mummy was obviously sort of the more strict hardline hard ass mum yeah with with a heart of gold as it yeah, turns no, out no, she like, wasn't she wasn't you know terrible but then you know you had more of the like hippie parent who just lets the kid do whatever the hippie mm-hmm. mum and you had you know the the cool sort of rocker mum who is trying to be friends with their kid yeah but but you know their their moves then just had much higher risk for embarrassment if they didn't go right mm. uh and the way that they played that into it was was really cool and i i did like the fact that they didn't you know keep it fully gendered like Having Gerald on the team was just awesome. Yeah. You know, he he embodied a mum, and that's what he that's what he wanted to yeah. sort of. Well, be- just like yeah, I liked how, in a similar way to the Daddy episode we did with our game design stuff a while yeah. ago, where it was we were trying not to gender things. Like they kind of did do that a bit. You know, obviously it was still woman heavy. Yes, because that is generally what you associate with it. But I liked that they. That they added that in. That, that, that they're trying to make it clear that this was big, big mum energy in this one. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, exactly. The, the the only thing that uh, sort of brings it down for me is when they did do a few Egypt levels where they literally threatened to yeah. have bandaged mummies, but that felt a little bit lazy. I mean, at least they kept it to just the bonus level where you were like helping out your archaeologist daughter. Yeah. From the curse. Yeah. Yeah. And so I feel, I felt like they kind of, they had a bit more leeway in those bonus levels to do a bit sillier stuff, but yeah. Yeah. That's why it brings it down to a 7.853921. Point five. 
another point. You got another decimal. You can add an extra decimal if you want. I I didn't. You know, it's yeah. Um, Cool. I I, I will give it a an eight point one. Flat. Flat. Okay. Um, Um, Should we should we go for a quick? Oh, let's. Yeah, we've got a little bit of time left. Let's do a quick lightning round. Yep. Uh, this is where we just talk about some of the games that each of us have been playing separately. Mm-hmm. We'll just sort of do a, a very quick uh, rundown. Yep. Okay. Castle of Death Havoc. That was mm. like a, a harken back to the old, you know, first person shooters. Felt like a, like, you know, a spiritual uh, successor to Castle Wolfenstein, but with less Nazis, which was such a relief. Like it, it felt, just felt fun, you know? Good yeah, old, I mean, most things do with less Nazis. Yes, a, a good throwback to to the classic, classic, you know, boomer shooters. That's what I think we we used to call them. <laughs> right. Uh, well, I've been playing Block Rain, R E I G N, um, but there's a bit of a pun there because it is a Tetrisy style. Um, game with, you know, Tetronomos coming down from the top, but you're building, you're essentially building up your castle, uh, and as you create certain, uh, blocks of color, they'll turn into like, uh, turrets and things. And yeah. Weapons oh, and things. That, so it, that's cool. I didn't get a chance to play that. Um, I might have to. Yeah. It's cool. That There's one a, out. There is a multiplayer mode as well where cool. you essentially like have, you know, split, uh, two, one on each, one on each side and tower defense and stuff. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it's cool. Um, enormous Mole Raider. So, in this, you play an enormous Mole Raider. So, it's sort of like a, a play on the Mole Rat thing, except that you're just, you're really, really big. Um, so, you're sort of going in and sort of protecting, protecting the, protecting and raiding other moles, basically. Right. Right. It's, um, cool. Yeah. Kind of a bit of a uh, strategy, strategy game. Hmm. It's fun. Um, I tried out Internet Puzzle Mania, mm-hmm. which was funny. I think this I think this one was thrown together quickly with, like, the popularity of Wordle. Mm. Uh, because it's almost like... You know how there's, like, game dev story and stuff? Yep. It's sort of like that, but you're sitting there trying to come up with new internet puzzles that are going to, like, have the opportunity to go viral. Mm. Um, so, I don't know. It, it felt a bit of a rip-off of those sorts of games, but... Yeah. Um, yeah. It was interesting. Um, I played the point-and-click adventure Nasty Blade Disaster, uh, where okay. in the um, in the intro, uh, the guy's just shaving, and he cuts himself, but he's got leukemia, um, so he, he he doesn't stop bleeding, and so it's mm. it's all about you know trying to stem that bleeding and then finding out that you know he's actually really sick, and it's just a it's a lovely game about you know this guy who finds out that he's really sick and. I won't. I won't spoil what happens at the end, but it's a it's a heartwarming tale. Um, yeah, that sounds really depressing. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was good. <laughs> it really was good. <laughs> um, and I think maybe our last one for tonight, uh, Killing Matters, was uh, another one. It was another one that sort of tried to have a message. I think because it was a first person shooter, but. And this one didn't succeed as well as the other game that we talked about that that had a good message. Essentially, as you would kill the henchmen and stuff, you'd get a little, like, 
side, like as you're playing, you'd get a little picture in picture of their family, like receiving a letter or finding, you know, <laughs> at their funeral or <laughs> that, that like one of their kids is like now being orphaned or whatever. Like it was this, it was actually a little bit problematic. I felt like it was just very ham, hev- like heavy handed in what it was trying yep. to do, but whatever. Good on them for trying something. You know, new and trying to yeah. get a message across. And I, guess. I really did like that it was narrated by Jaleel White. Yeah, uh, that was a that was a good get for them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, look, I think that's it for this week. Uh, thanks for for joining us for another one of our review episodes. We have been trying it a little bit differently, and hopefully, you've been enjoying it. If you have been, let us know because we'd love to know if you want us to continue down this route or, you know, go back to our previous click pitch sort of stuff uh, and, and and randomly generate a game design. Because this is nothing like that, right? Where this is real games. We're, it's very different. We're, we're not just improvising what what each game no, is with a random name generator. Like Random name generator. That'd be weird. Yeah. And it wouldn't make sense, especially if we if we did, like, meta commentary saying that we weren't doing that. That'd just be, like, awkward. I mean, it would just be ridiculous, Trevor. Why would we even... No. I don't know why you even brought that up. So, anyway, let us know which direction you are going in. Go to podchaser.com slash bitstorm. Leave us a review. Let us know. Review this episode. You can review episodes on Podchaser. It's kind of it's kind of neat. It's kind of what it's there for. Like, it's there it's for It's kind of what reviews. it's there for. Let us know. What else is there for is that... We've got a we've got an awesome song that plays at the start and end of each episode. It's called Mount Defiance. It's off of the album Containment Value by the awesome band Corridust that we happen to be associated with. That's right. So thank you again for joining us this week on Bitstorm. I'm Ben Slinger. I'm Trevor Scott. And I'm Mrs. McGillicuddy. <laughs>